0: Wednesday, August the 3rd, 2022, and welcome back to Goodfellows, a Hoover Institution broadcast examining social, economic, political, and geopolitical concerns. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm a Hoover Institution Distinguished Policy Fellow, back in the moderator's chair after a brief timeout, uh, tan-rested and ready to hear from my three colleagues, Hoover's Goodfellows. That would include the historian, Neil Ferguson, the economist, John Cochran, the geostrategist, Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster. They are Hoover Institution Senior Fellows all. Guys, I'd love to catch up with you and talk about our summer vacations, but time is of the essence. We're doing a slim down Goodfellas today, 30 minutes on one topic, and that is the US, China, Taiwan, and the aftermath of Nancy Pelosi's visit to that island nation. HR, let's start with you. So Speaker Pelosi and a congressional delegation popped into Taiwan for about a 24 hour visit. She met with government leaders and away she went. The Chinese were angry. What's changed about the dynamic between the US and
1: China after that visit? Well, I don't think too much has changed. And I think this is what's really important is that our government, everybody's talking about this, ought to really point to the the pattern that has been established by the Chinese Communist Party over the last several years under Xi Jinping, which is a which is a a pattern of increasing aggression toward toward Taiwan, increasing aggression really toward all of its, its neighbors in the South China Sea. Uh, on the Himalayan frontier, vis-a-vis Hong Kong. So I, I think what's what's been unfortunate about this is maybe there should have been a meeting about this before the visit happened <laughs> to try to 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 try to integrate really the approach diplomatically and what we're doing informationally and from a defense perspective uh, so that the divis- the visit wasn't just one discreet act that that drew a lot of attention and maybe ceded a little bit of the initiative to the Chinese Communist Party.
0: And I think Neil pointed this out in his really excellent column in Bloomberg this week. And if you uh, viewers haven't read it yet, go track it down. Uh, Neil, you pointed out that the, this uh, prison has been in the work for months, and yet only at the 11th hour does the Pentagon start actually planning about the possibilities of
2: what might happen if she goes there. Yeah, it was a bit mysterious to me that this visit happened at all. Uh, after all, uh, I, I don't wholly buy the idea that that the Democratic Speaker of the House of Representatives is not on speaking terms with the President of the United States, who also I understand is a Democrat, or anybody in his national security team. Uh, Given the situation globally, that is to say the war raging uh, in Ukraine, uh, it didn't seem like the obvious time uh, to precipitate another round of uh, hot rhetoric. Uh, in the Cold War between China and the United States. And I have to say that from the Chinese vantage point, Pelosi's visit was a bit of a gift, an opportunity uh, to justify that increasingly aggressive approach that they've taken, the the flyovers of their uh, aircraft. We we can expect uh, in the near future all kinds of naval action verging uh, according to some accounts on on a blockade uh and even if it's only a kind of trial run for a blockade it does seem to me that we or uh nancy pelosi has given the chinese an opportunity to ramp it up so mystery number one is why did this even happen the timing didn't seem to me to be uh great uh and of course uh the, the second big mystery is why uh and this is partly a question for HR, why would uh, the Biden administration want to increase the tension over Taiwan at a time when we don't have a particularly credible game plan for the eventuality of an actual war? To be clear, I don't think a war is going to happen. I think in many ways, the Chinese playbook's obvious, lots of shows of strength, but they're not serious about getting into a conflict now. But it seems to me that each time you have a crisis like this, you take a step closer to there actually being a war, whether an accidental one or a deliberate one. And I don't understand why the Biden administration, or I should say Nancy Pelosi, is forcing this issue when the U.S. doesn't have a credible game plan for an actual war. HR, this is something that's puzzled me for a while. Uh, If anything, the rhetoric on the U.S. side about Taiwan has become more and more unambiguous in the last couple of years, partly encouraged by Richard Haas's call for an end to strategic ambiguity. And so the Biden administration has actually talked tougher on Taiwan than the Trump administration did. And yet this is happening when we don't have a credible strategy uh, to defend Taiwan compared, say, with the mid-1990s, which was the last time a Speaker of the House of Representatives, Newt Gingrich, went to Taiwan. Why are they doing this, and
1: would you advise uh, a different course if you were still national security advisor. Well, Neil, I think they're doing it because of Chinese China's actions, the Chinese Communist Party's actions, and how aggressive the PLA has become. You know, not only you know vis-a-vis Taiwan, but broadly across the Indo-Pacific region. And and I think it's an effort. You know, I think the sequencing is wrong, but an effort to to deter conflict by showing support for Taiwan. But I think the sequence of actions should be bolster Taiwan's defense. Rush the defense capabilities that Taiwan has already purchased. And and you've seen, I think, maybe the introduction of this uh, of this bill in the last uh, two days uh, with Senator uh, Menendez and and Senator Graham to provide kind of some seed money for even uh, for even some further t- strengthening of, of Taiwan's defense capabilities. But that should go that should go first. Right. That should be the priority. Of just just do what you can to strengthen deterrence by denial, and let your actions speak for themselves. Let the Taiwanese actions speak for themselves. Some of the actions that the Taiwanese military and government have to take in terms of you know increasing maybe terms of enlistment, for example, and and so forth. So so I, I think that what what the the impetus has been Chinese aggression in the areas I've mentioned, but but obviously you know the subjugation of of, of Hong Kong and the end of the one country two systems. Uh, and 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 just the party's behavior broadly, I think has, has brought this on. Mm-hmm. Let's get John in here.
3: Yeah, I just, yeah, just wanna jump in with a, as a couple of points. As The Economist, I think China will do what's in its self-interest. <laughs> it could choose to ignore the strip, it could choose to do whatever, and, and it's, it, it's pretty clear what they're choosing to do, make kind of a fuss and show off their military prowess about uh, Taiwan. Uh, to ruffle, to, to muddy the waters. And uh, I, I think, yeah, it, it will end up with blockade or something of the sort as opposed to immediate invasion. And they want to sort of make clear what that will look like to us. Uh, I think the immediate consequence, is sort of, I, I want to bounce off some things I've been reading about this with you guys. The immediate consequence is not the Chi- Taiwan Straits, the immediate consequence is Ukraine. Uh, We are begging the Chinese to help us and not not trade with the Russians, not supply them with drones. And so far, the Chinese have been going along with us. If you want to piss off the Chinese right now, uh, we are in another war and we're in a shooting war. And uh, I think uh, driving the Chinese further into the Russia camp. Uh, is probably one of the uh, consequences of, of causing a kerfuffle with them right now. Why are we doing this? Um, I read a very interesting uh, quote from actually one of Nancy Pelosi's staffers. She's gonna retire soon. She wants to go out on a big bang with, with a big fo- foreign policy feather in her cap. Uh, it's clear that there was some debate within the administration as there is debate within families about whether she should go. That's why we're doing this. This isn't a considered chess move by the US foreign policy elite queen to you know Q4, no. Uh, this is Nancy Pelosi burnishing her, her reputation and causing some damage on the way out. Um, as we look forward, uh, I, I am struck by the amount of talk loudly and carry a small stick. Um, we were not willing to um, to declare a no-fly zone over Ukraine. If China invades Taiwan, we're talking about US military confrontation with China. Why in the world would anyone think, or would we even uh, have the U.S. Uh, military fighting against the Chinese over Taiwan when we're not willing to, uh, you know, do do tiny direct actions in Ukraine? We'll sell them weapons, which we can get there through Poland. You can't get weapons, you can't get HIMAR systems into China, into Taiwan over six thousand miles of ocean after China's invaded.
1: Well, and and this is what I hope happens is a follow up to this trip, right? So this this trip it seemed like it was disconnected, as you mentioned, John, from any kind of broader strategy. It, it, there's time maybe now to integrate it into the strategy to deter conflict you know, across the Indo-Pacific region, but with Taiwan in particular, but more broadly to compete more effectively with the Chinese Communist Party and and its various forms of aggression, including economic aggression and informational aggression and cyber aggression and and all, all the actions that we've seen the, the party taking uh, over. over recent years. And so I think what what should happen is there should hopefully be a bipartisan effort to describe really what is at stake in the competition with the Chinese Communist Party broadly? What is at stake in in Taiwan? Why does Taiwan matter? And what are we going to do alongside allies and partners to, to ensure uh, the preservation of peace you know, through deterrence by denial vis-a-vis Taiwan—that's the discussion that should happen. Everything's out of sequence, right? The Trump administration doesn't get really high marks a lot of times for you know for coordination uh, of efforts. But whenever there was a big Codel, a congressional delegation going abroad, I, I would meet with them in, in the Situation Room uh, and and uh, and explain to them what our strategy was, what our policy was relevant to that trip and ask them to help advance that strategy and and that's what you didn't see you saw the the executive branch almost you know denying that the trip was going to happen i mean uh, and and it would would have been even even better is you know would be to have made that trip a bipartisan trip you know bring some some republican uh, members of congress with you as well so anyway some some missed opportunities but i don't want to be in the camp of 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 uh of saying that that the speaker should not have gone. I think once the you know, once the word got out, you know, oh, that yeah. she was going, I, I think it would have been a, a, a bigger, much bigger mistake to, to not have to, to have not gone. Since we're in the
2: situation zoom rather than the situation room, I'm gonna do something very risky that I probably wouldn't do in the situation room. And it may be unprecedented for me on on Goodfellas. I'm gonna take the Chinese side of this. And the reason I'm gonna do that is that I think uh the U.S. has shifted its policy in a subtle way uh, from what was an ambiguous policy over 50 years. And the ambiguous policy was to say, we actually accept the one China principle. We accept your claim that Taiwan's part of China, but we also reserve the right to prevent you changing the de facto state of affairs by force. And that's the implication of the 1979 act, which Nancy Pelosi cited in her Washington Post op-ed. Now, I think ever since Richard Haas said that we should get rid of strategic ambiguity, there's been a tendency amongst members of both parties to take less and less uh, ambiguous positions on Taiwan to make it sound as if there's an unconditional commitment to the defense uh, of Taiwan. The president himself did this three times only to have his own staff walk it back. Now, once is a gaffe, but three times looks like a change of policy. And if I view this from the Chinese vantage point, it's not just that the Chinese have been doing more flyovers. It's also that the U.S. seems to have shifted its position to one of unambiguous commitment to the defense of Taiwan. And therefore, it's impossible for the Chinese not to go through uh, quite a theatrical display uh, of military force in the coming days because they can't simply acquiesce in what amounts to de facto recognition of, of Taiwan as an independent state, and I use de facto deliberately. In effect, Nancy Pelosi flew into Taiwan, met with the president of Taiwan and other members of the Taiwanese government exactly as if it were an independent state in defiance of uh, statements from Beijing. I think we have to recognize that this is a different approach, even from the one taken uh, by the Clinton administration, which came into office in a pretty combative state of mind about China. Remember the butchers of Beijing. Uh, but when the crisis of 95 96 happened, actually the Clinton administration didn't really want to get into that fight and got extremely nervous in 96 when the Chinese started talking about nuclear options. This seems different. It feels to me as if the administration has gone looking for a fight over Taiwan. Secretary of State Blinken talked about Taiwan in his his speech back in June. Uh, Secretary of Defense Austin brought up the subject when he was in Singapore in July. I mean, this is, if I view this from a Chinese perspective, part of a pattern of less and less ambiguity and more and more de facto recognition of Taiwan as in de- an independent entity. Now, HR is gonna shoot me down in flames, but I'm ready for it. It's the situation Zoom, not the room.
1: Okay, so, so Neil, first of all, what word makes a difference? You said the one China principle. That's that's China's phrase, right? It's it's the one China policy from our perspective. The one China, China wants us to say the one China principle, which means, a, they're going to subsume Taiwan inevitably, uh, and 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 can do so whenever they want by force if necessary. The, you know, the one China policy is associated with the, the shift in policy to the recognition of of the of the PRC, uh, but but also with the stipulation that we have these six assurances associated with the Taiwan Relations Act. And so so it's really that one word make makes makes a big difference. There, there is no way that. The United States Speaker of the House visiting Taiwan is nearly as provocative uh, of, of China's many provocations vis-a-vis Taiwan over, over, over just recent years, even how about even recent months, right, with, you know, with over 900 and some uh, in uh, violations of the air defense uh, uh, identification zone over the past year, year or so, you know the uh, the, the economic coercion, the, the you know the cyber attack that probably just happened a couple of days ago in response to the visit. I mean, multiple cyber attacks, the economic coercion, the political subversion, the information operations, the the you know, effort to to manipulate the the elections, which backfired. So I I just think that. We should not put ourselves in the role of the aggressor here. I think that's quite self-referential, especially if you look at how other countries in the region have been suffering from China's aggression as well. I mean, ramming and sinking a Vietnamese vessel, for example. You know, militarizing islands in the South China Sea and laying claim to the whole ocean. Right. The, you know the uh, you know the the economic coercion against Australia. Uh, how Japan has has come under under Chinese. Uh, uh, military aggression and is building up its self-defense force in response. So I think we have to see this in context of of, of, of Chinese of Chinese aggression. You mentioned the Clinton administration. <laughs> hey, Bill Clinton was operating under a delusion, right? That China, if they were welcomed into the international order, the inter- international economic system would liberalize its economy and and, and liberalize its form of governance. He, he made the grave error of working very hard. Uh, to get china china to be admitted into the world trade organization after which china's played by none of the rules and used its statist mercantilist economic model uh weaponized it against us right and and so I, i just think that there is a shift that's occurring globally a recognition of the threat from china i think you need to only look at the statement from from russia as well about about pelosi's visit to show that russia and china are together Uh, in this endeavor to rewrite the rules for for them both uh, to to assume preponderant influence in in the world. I mean, I think it goes back to the, you know, the statement right before the Beijing Olympics, right? You guys are over. The West is over. And so I think this is another episode uh, in in this ongoing sort of saga that, that 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 will determine whether or not we do generate the will, we being the free world, to stand up to these revisionist, re- revanchist, authoritarian powers, and and it does relate to Ukraine, um, and and I think we're you know we're in a contest now of of wills vis-a-vis Ukraine, uh, but also vis-a-vis China, and we shouldn't. Try you know cast ourselves in the in the role of, of aggressor. I didn't think that you would be the guy, Neil, to to self flagellate under these circumstances. Well, I wanna, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, gonna, go go, go that, ahead, John. Then I'd like to ask.
0: Go ahead, John. I'd like I, to ask a question rule anyway. on this one in in favor
3: of uh, Ferguson. Uh, because uh, much as I love you, HR, you always see the world as it ought to be, and 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 who has the rights, you know, and the moral correctness here. You're exactly right, but that's not how the Chinese see it. We need to understand how our enemy thinks and how he will behave. So I want to play game theorist here and, and ask you both. Uh, you know, how's this? But let's look forward a couple of years. Uh, what's China going to do? And how are we gonna deter them? One option is, is middle of the night invasion of Taiwan. That's probably unlikely. Uh, the other option, the more likely option, Neil mentioned blockade. There's We're gonna create some international incident. They're not gonna like some election in Taiwan. Uh, we have two things we can deter with. One is military action. Everything I've seen sees, says we lose uh, the war over, over Taiwan, uh, or we are unwilling to fight it. To the extent necessary, uh, you know, we were unwilling to fight in Ukraine. Uh, worried about Russia's response, uh, you know, China has the same kind of nuclear weapons as Russia has, and it's right next door to them. The other is economic. Um, you know, China uh, invades or does whatever it's going to do, uh, and we and the rest of the world say basically we're cutting off China. And in fact, um, anything military going on there would would cut off all, all that trade. Now, this one's going to hurt us as much as it hurts them. And it's not clear that we, Europe, the rest of the world, have the stomach uh, to cut off China over Taiwan. And of course, what uh, China will try to do is make things just unpleasant enough up to the point where people are willing to say, oh, yeah, well, that's bad, but we're still trading. Uh, So it won't be a complete blockade, it won't be an absolute invasion. Uh, You know, they'll try to muddy the waters. But do we have? the strength, the the will, the strategy to either fight directly over Taiwan in a way we are unwilling to do over Ukraine, or to completely cut uh, to us and our allies and everybody else, completely cut off China economically over Taiwan, even though at tremendous cost to ourselves and the world. That's, our, that's what I see as our two deterrence options.
2: Well, this well, is, of course, the key question. I, I wanna repudiate the word aggressor that HR used earlier. I'm not accusing the United States or Nancy Pelosi of being the aggressor. I'm just arguing that we seem to be moving our position uh, rather than remaining consistent with the strategic ambiguity that dates back to 1972. So I think we've changed our position. Problem is, and John, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, we, we're not credible it's not credible, I think, that the United States would go to war, least of all now, uh, over Taiwan. Uh, it's very difficult to imagine what kind of a war plan would succeed if China managed a successful amphibious invasion. Uh, it's not even clear what we could do if they did impose a real blockade rather than just a kind of simulated one of the sort they're doing now. But the, the other key point is the economic one. We've shown the world our playbook with respect to Russia. And the playbook is financial uh, and personal sanctions and actually a pretty drastic exclusion of Russia from the global economy. Uh, that is not a credible option with respect to China because of China's far, far greater economic importance. If we tried to do those sorts of sanction against China, the blowback for the US economy, is, as I'm sure you'd agree, John, would be absolutely enormous. And so that's not credible either. And this is the problem with uh, talking uh, tough without credible options. Even in 95, 96, it was actually pretty risky to send two aircraft carrier groups to the vicinity of Taiwan as the Clinton administration ultimately did. They had a pretty fraught time. I was reminding myself of the decision-making around that time. And it it actually was a pretty nail-biting sequence of events that played out over months. Uh, but these options are really not credible anymore. If you sent two aircraft carrier groups into Taiwanese, uh, into the vicinity of Taiwan now, and and essentially replayed the 96 uh, strategy, it could backfire terribly, because the Chinese now have the capacity to sink aircraft carriers, which they didn't have in 1996. So I worry a lot, and this goes back to HR, I worry a lot that the military balance has profoundly shifted against the United States. I'm not just talking about the defense of Taiwan, but more broadly in the Indo-Pacific region. And the Biden administration, which uh, is going to reduce defense expenditure relative to GDP in the coming years, has no answer to that fundamental shift in the military balance. Meanwhile, the Chinese continue to grow their nuclear arsenal and grow their arsenal of ballistic missiles at an extraordinary pace, as was pointed out in a recent Foreign Affairs piece. So, H.R., what do we do if our if our military credibility and our economic credibility are being eroded, as I think they are being?
1: Well, I mean, you have you have to invest in defense, and you have to invest in, by by addressing a bow wave of deferred modernization, especially in long range missile capabilities and some of the missile defense capabilities that are relevant to to maybe a you know a naval and air conflagration in the South China Sea or or vis a vis Taiwan. Uh, you also need to, to strengthen allies and have allies step up and improve their capabilities. That's happening, right? The, J- the Japanese self-defense Forces is improving some of their capabilities. You see with the AUKUS agreement, there's a, a real focus on strengthening Australia's role in regional defense, but we just don't have the capacity to deal with a 44-fold chinese pla people's liberation army buildup that's occurred since the mid-1990s right i mean 44-fold increase in 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 defense and so we haven't reacted to that so we have we have a a real problem in capacity of, of our of our force now you know everybody talks about carriers and vulnerability of carriers we have to recognize we can bring to bear a broad range of capabilities right from from space and cyberspace, but subsurface, for example, and an aircraft that, that that can be refueled and extend the range thereby, uh, and and so it's the integration of all those capabilities that we're pretty darn good at. Can we do it at sufficient scale uh, to to respond to to massive Chinese People's Liberation Army and People's Liberation Army and Navy and Air Force uh, aggression is is a question because our defense strategy has been based. That on, on the assumption that we can do one thing at a time. And I think what we should be learning from the crisis in, in Ukraine and now what we're seeing vis-a-vis Taiwan and, and just really China's aggression across the Indo-Pacific broadly is that we have to be able to do more than one thing at a time, we being the United States and, 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 our, and our treaty allies. And, and so that's gonna require additional investment in defense to address this bow wave deferred modernization, but also to address this capacity issue. But hey, one thing I just wanna point out Hey, if if China, if the People's Liberation Army wants to invade and 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 subsume Taiwan, it's not. It wouldn't be easy. In fact, I I don't think that I think they would fail right? We have to recognize that Taiwan is an island the size of Maryland. It's very mountainous in the eastern part of the country. The, the, the population is concentrated into dense urban areas uh, on, on the western part of the country across the Taiwan Strait. There are a lot of mud flats. There are only a couple good places for landing. There are only a few months a year when, it, when really the cross-strait amphibious uh, operation is really is really viable. And so I think that there is a tremendous opportunity, and this is why I think this, this bill that, that is now being proposed in the Senate is important to, to really enhance Taiwan's capabilities. Now now you're really in, in this equation of the terms being capability times will. And I think I, I was kind of you know I was struck by how enthusiastic of a reception that, that uh that speaker Pelosi got when she when, when she arrived in Taiwan. And I think that the Taiwanese people's will is increasing Maybe because of what they're seeing in Ukraine, like, hey, maybe we can do we can do this, but also what they've learned vicariously through the fate of Hong Kongers. So I don't know Taiwan. Well, I've never been there, you know, but I think if we keep in mind this capability times will, that's what we ought to be assessing. Our capability, our capacity, the size of our force, uh, but also our will, as, as John has pointed out, uh, and, and, and the Taiwanese will uh, to defend themselves. One thing
2: I'm very struck by is that White House officials have been briefing the media that they think the Chinese time frame for a takeover of Taiwan has been shortened. In other words, we could see a showdown in the relatively near future, as in one, two or so years. And that's interesting to me because I'm not quite sure why they think that. But one reason they might think that is something we haven't mentioned yet, but it's in John's wheelhouse. China's in an economic crisis. Uh, Its second quarter growth relative to the first quarter was negative. The economy's really flatlining. They're gonna have to abandon their 5.5% growth target because they're gonna get nowhere near it. And between COVID, uh, which of course ain't over, and the zero COVID policy, which doesn't really work, and the real estate uh, sector crisis, China's in a bigger economic mess than it has been in, well, pretty much since the late 1980s. And I wonder if that is a reason why this is a more dangerous situation than perhaps many Americans realize. Because for the first time, Xi Jinping and his comrades needed an alternative source of legitimacy to economic growth, because they don't have economic growth. Uh, In fact, if you look at uh, youth unemployment in China, it's now up at around 17%, which I think is roughly three times the rate in most uh, Western countries. So a question for John, which is, is kind of an economics and a history question, is the most dangerous time with an authoritarian regime when its economy stalls and it's incentivized therefore to take greater geopolitical risk? As an historian, I see that pattern. I don't know if economists ever ask themselves that question.
3: We we tread on all sorts of other disciplines happily. Uh, I do think, and we should come back to this, there is uh, the the real estate bubble of all time, which is now uh, uh, the same thing as government finances bubble uh, going on in, in in China. And that could be the next great financial explosion. Now, do countries uh, go on invasions when they're having that kind of financial crisis? I I thought the lessons of history was a temporary, view of having temporary military advantage uh, while the enemy is slowly uh, rearming itself is the dangerous moment, uh, which that that points the dangerous moment right now. But back to HR, you talk beautifully about, let's invest in uh, weapons and so forth, but the will component. Uh, Does anybody believe the United States would engage in an all-out shooting war with China to retake Taiwan? Uh, The one thing we could do right now to convince the world that that might be possible would be to let the Ukrainians Uh, go back and take back their territory, to say, our objective here is going to be all Russians out of all Ukraine, back to where they agreed to, and that includes Crimea, and we will supply offensive weapons as necessary. We don't even have to supply U.S. troops yet, but our objective is Russians out of Ukraine. If, If that happens, maybe somebody will believe we have the will for Chinese out of Taiwan. But other than that, if we're just playing for a draw in Ukraine, it's perfectly obvious no matter how many aircraft carriers we build the sitting and the duck uh to uh that there's just no, no chance that we're going to go back in and do that in taiwan yeah this is the one area Don't where i think that
1: this is the one area where i think the Biden administration has been good on ukraine by saying okay listen it, we're, we're going to support Zelensky and what his objectives are and and i just hope that that holds across nato as as well you know you saw this terrible speech that orban gave you know a couple of days ago uh, that that, uh, that that of course indicates division within NATO and, and the EU, but also it, it seems like the Germans and the French are kind of weak. Now I think the conscience of Europe now, there are maybe the Eastern Europeans and the Scandinavians, right? So and well, and, and 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 the and the British. So I, let's I not
0: talk
3: about statements right now. Let's talk about outcomes. When the last Russian well, leaves Ukraine, right? This, this, the West this, this, will have gained some credibility on Taiwan.
1: Yeah, well, I think you're you're right. And and actions, right? Actions. Actions speak louder. That's highly unlikely to happen, John. Well, that's that's my worry.
2: Ukrainians launch a successful counteroffensive around Kherson, which I think they may. It's still hard for me to see how they have the capability to roll the Russians back out of the Donbass because the Russian Donbass offensive was relatively successful, albeit brutal. And I mean, my sense is that uh, the Ukrainians uh, already detect. Uh, weakening of will in Europe. uh, And we haven't even had a glimpse of of winter, but we have a glimpse of a major energy crisis in Europe and uh, an impending recession. One question that Tom Friedman raised uh, in his column this week was that the whole question of Pelosi's visit to Taiwan might encourage the Chinese to increase their support for the Russian war effort. I'm not sure I buy that, uh, because I think the Chinese really quite clearly took off the table, uh, breaching American sanctions. Uh, and, and this was an important policy win for the Biden administration that hasn't had nearly enough coverage. But my understanding is that the National Security Advisory, your successor, HR, Jake Sullivan, told uh, the Chinese, these are the companies we're watching. These are the things you cannot do. And I think the Chinese have listened. Certainly, their exports to Russia are way down since the war began on February the 24th. What I can figure out is whether this whole Taiwan mini crisis encourages the Chinese to give more support to Putin. H.R., what's your take? My hunch is probably not, but
1: I'm not in the situation room. Well, I think this goes back to the earlier discussion, you know, of of the the vulnerabilities in the Chinese economy. And uh, and I think that uh, if China was facing the specter of, Massive sanctions or financial sanctions, especially on on any of their major banks, uh, that would exacerbate that crisis. And I think he wants to avoid that. I, I do think the period of, of maximum danger is going to be really between you know twenty twenty four and twenty twenty six. Still, I mean, there could be a a crisis sooner, uh, but but I think that I think China will try to wait out. Uh, the Taiwanese election in in 2024, mm-hmm. and and see if they can influence that election in some way, uh, and then maybe be able to to make progress toward what Xi Jinping would prefer, which is annexation by invitation, which he's not going to get. Uh, but but I think he I think he would still try to pursue that rather than a massive military operation to uh, to to invade and, and then- okay,
0: okay, so guys, guys, I got to wrap this up here. So I want to exit with one very quick question. Yes, no question for all three of you. Now, Neil mentioned that uh, Speaker Gingrich, then Speaker Gingrich visited Taiwan in 1997. Speaker Pelosi visits 25 years later. Two-part question A, will a House Speaker visit before the next 25 years or like a cicada is this something we do once a quarter of a century? Question B, will there still be an independent Taiwan in 25 years? John, yes or no on
1: both?
3: It's hard to forecast, especially the future.
1: Okay. HR? I would say yes on both. Yes, there'll be more visits. And yes, Taiwan uh, will will remain uh, independent of the PRC. And Neil, you get the last word. And I agree with HR, because I actually think in a 25-year time
2: frame, the problems of the People's Republic of China are going to become so acute that any idea of uh, an invasion of Taiwan or any kind of territorial expansion will be off the table. So yes and yes.
3: Let me chime in, because I I flubbed the first time. Uh, There there will be many crises to manage along the way, and the outcome will depend on us, us doing that a little more wisely than we have lately.
0: And with that, we're going to wrap this episode of Goodfellows, but obviously we've left a lot that we can pick up in later shows. Speaking of which, on a programming note, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, so be on the lookout for us. The best way to keep uh, on the lookout for us, by the way, is subscribe to our show and give us a nice rating, by the way. We like getting lots of stars. On behalf of the Goodfellows, Neil Ferguson, John Cochran, H.R. McMaster, all of us here at the Hoover Institution. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Thanks for watching. We'll see you soon.
3: If you enjoyed this show and are interested in watching more content featuring H.R.
1: McMaster, watch Battlegrounds, also available at hoover.org.